Ksenia Komlianovic here, your host, and with me are my dear friends and co-hosts, Carly Vigna. Hey, Ksenia, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best holiday episode ever. How are you? I'm doing well. <laughs> That's good. Are you already on your break? Not quite, not quite. We're, we're pushing through finals week this coming week. But by the time this episode airs, everyone should be on break. Everyone should be on break by then. That's true. That's true. And our, our latest addition to the podcast, the wonderful, beautiful Galeb Pickering. Galeb Caleb. Caleb. We just went through how to pronounce everybody's name, and we've been saying <laughs> each other's name for years. So that's <laughs> all, all I want. Yeah. Cassinia's uh, freaking out over over wave quartet is all I want for the holiday season. This has been this has been the highlight of my week. I mean, I did public speaking like everywhere, and I'm so cool. And then they show up, and I'm like, "What's my name? I'm gonna mispronounce my name." <laughs> well, anyway, um, we are gonna be releasing this episode on December 23rd, and uh, we're gonna skip music history today because we really do have way better things to do, and we have such special guests here. So. I'm just going to go along and introduce them. Um, they're known as some of the most incredible percussionists the world can see today, and they like to join forces in chamber music, which is so special and my favorite thing. Um, this ensemble has been in existence for over 10 years and has performed in every great hall imaginable, completely unnecessary to name them. Um, their recordings, their live performances, their commissioning contributions to the percussion community are some of the most important ones we have today. And everybody, as, as you heard, because Caleb here spoiled it for everybody. Um, but this day has finally arrived. We have the most beautiful wave quartet with us. We have Bogdan, Christoph, Emiko, and Nico with us. The whole quartet is here. Everybody, welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Hi. to be here. Oh, it's so lovely. Um, I, we have so many questions for you. Social media freaked out also when they heard that you're our guest. So we're just gonna get going. Um, and we're gonna start with Bogdan telling us a little bit, please, about how the quartet got formed. Well, um, it was about 13 years ago. And um, it was actually a tryout. I was playing a lot of solo before and, um, you know, <laughs> we don't really play piano, sorry to say that, but our repertoire is quite limited. At a certain point, you start missing new literature. And as I do come from piano, I was on the other side missing my old literature. <laughs> and um, we've got an offer for playing some Bach concertos uh, where I simply refused to arrange the uh, piano part or the harpsichord part for one player. At least in Europe, if you would do that, yeah, won't be a good idea. So I decided to ask at that time three of my students, mm -hmm. we should give a try. 
And that was actually the beginning of Wave Quartet. It was me with Christoph, with Emiko, and Vladi Petrov was still playing at the time. Um, at the time, Emiko and Vladi were still the Wave duo. That's why, you know, Wave simply became wider. <laughs> and uh, we have arranged uh, the um, C major concerto by Bach uh, for four marimbas in the end without losing one note. So simply one of us playing the left hand, the other one the right hand, but that's why the wave switching. So we never had one solist and someone that was accompanying, but it was always switching. And we have added some other pieces to that and we had our debut concert with it. And um, it was quite an experience, quite a positive experience for all of us. And we decided that it has to go on. <laughs> Absolutely. And we're so glad you did. We just chatted before you entered the room how it's been your solo CD. And for me, also the quartet, you know, your first CD, that's one of the first recordings that I've had of percussion music. And it was so exciting. And it's the first time that I felt like, oh, my God, I really, really want to play this. Like, this is the repertoire I want to play. It's so exciting. Um, so we're so happy you, you stuck with it. Thank you so much. Um, so let's ask Christoph then, since he's been there from the very beginning, how has the ensemble evolved throughout the years? Because 13 years, that's a, that's a marriage. That's a, a long marriage. Well, in the beginning, I was very young. Now I am not anymore. <laughs> I'm actually losing my hair. <laughs> before, before, before I start answering the question, I have to excuse us, I think, for everyone who is watching on, on, on YouTube, at least that we are like in partly in winter uh, clothes, it's because we are in our practice room, but sadly the heating system has a problem. And so we, we decided not to freeze over the next hour. Um, but anyway, about the development, um, I think in the beginning it was just, I mean, for me, it was a completely different perspective because I was, 15 years old at that point, and I had the chance to play uh, with Bogdan and also with Fadi and Emiko, which had just won a competition and who were already so much more experienced uh, uh, on the instrument than, than I was. And it was just, uh, for me, a huge possibility to, to learn, actually. And I was enjoying it a lot, because I think that's one of the best ways, actually, to, to learn from other people to play together. Uh, besides all other teaching, which, which sure is necessary, but just to play together and try to take things over helped me a lot. And I think I can speak for all of us if, if I say that we just grew stronger uh, together over the years. And, and I mean, we discovered different repertoires. So we started uh, with, with the Bach Concerti. And actually, when we started, we played the version of the Simejo concerto for sensory uh, piano, so without strings. And, uh, but soon after that, we actually recorded a CD uh, with the same concerto and with uh, two more concerti, I think, at that time. Yeah. It's, it's a long time. You know? And uh, with an with a orchestra and period instrument, with a period instruments, with a baroque ensemble. And that was for me the next step or the next the next challenge uh, because 
to, to adapt the marimba in a way that it really fits together with those musicians that are so into the so so deep inside this music um, requires quite some quite some work and I'm I'm also so thankful uh, to Bogdan that he always encouraged us to to read about baroque music in general and not just play the notes but to really delve into it and I think after that baroque. Uh, about after the time that we that we played mostly baroque we went on and and started to search and i think that that's also something that um that that always stayed with us the search for new repertoire i mean as a marimba quartet you don't have the same situation like a string quartet <laughs> um so therefore we tried to um ask some composers but we also um, searched ourselves for repertoire that we could arrange because I think that's really the big chance of an ensemble like that, that um, we can not only play the music of our time or of the past century, but we can really transcribe uh, through the centuries, actually, and that without losing uh, too much of the original quality and sometimes maybe even with the possibility to get some new sides uh, from some of the pieces and one of the of the last big projects um, also our last CD recording was uh, that we arranged actually our own version of Carmen but not from BC but the version from Rodion Chedrin and I think that was the probably the biggest challenge so far in in arranging because I mean, Carmen is an is an opera, and and yeah. but I think it also shows that with former rimbas you do have quite some possibilities. And yeah, the latest uh, development of the quartet was <laughs> is actually sitting here next to me. Uh, Nico, he's playing now, I think since <laughs> since two years. We're extremely happy that that he joined us. Um, I'm not the youngest anymore now, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, we, we spent, I think, 11 wonderful years with Vladi and, um, and because of his job in the orchestra and also his personal uh, life and his personal planning, uh, he decided to, to leave the quartet. And so we were extremely happy that we uh, found Nico, who really very quickly fitted in the quartet, which is, not, um, which, which is actually not that easy. I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit more about um, the way that the kind of personality of the quartet has evolved. Like, were there decisions that you made early on about the direction you wanted to go in as far as repertoire and the kind of audience that you're looking for? Um, or did it kind of just evolve naturally um, with the creative ideas that you all had together? Audience wise, we are just happy and honored to play for white public. So, so we don't really think for what kind of public we would like to play. Um, we just simply develop the repertoire the way that we think it would fit to our character. So that we can, you know, if I play a piece that I don't feel, then the public will feel that and I lie to them. So we play always something that fits us completely. And we know we have the four different characters in the ensemble. We know who can play what best. And we try to have everything in that way arranged that every one of us can show his 
chocolate side, let's put it like that. So, so it's about the music in the end. What kind of what kind of repertoire can we take in order to show what we feel? And that will automatically make the public feel that. Um, Repertoire-wise, yes, we kind of, until now we stayed a little bit out from, from, let's say, contemporary music, but we are a little bit old-fashioned. So we started with, with Baroque music, which is still one of the main parts of our repertoire. Then we went over to Tango su Piazzola, which was quite a big step, actually. And of course, we, we, we play this Pafna Dorman and so on. So we, we do have a lot of other pieces, but we always take something that really can represent our character. So I'm coming back to the first, actually to the first sentence. Um, but no, we never consider we would like to have this repertoire for this kind of public. No, <laughs> but we just play for general public. And of course, every time when, when a new recording is coming, we do talk to our label. But until now, even with Sonic Classical was pretty easy because we just called them and we said, look, Wave is now going this direction. And the answer was always, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. So yes. That's wonderful. Um, well, Nico, why don't you tell us about how your experience has been coming into an established ensemble and you know, with, I don't know if you had a chance, I'm assuming you had a chance to meet Vladi. How, how are you trying to contribute differently or similarly in this case? I mean, first of all, I was really nervous when they asked me because <laughs> for, I, was, I was freaking out and yeah, and I'm also a student from Bogdan and Christoph and so I got already to to listen to some concerts, and I also knew them before. I'm all four of the quartet, and yeah, it it was I knew the repertoire and everything. And at the beginning, they were really, really, really nice with practicing with the me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> every time, but especially in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and for me, actually, it was quite amazing because the fact that they played before for such a long time made it easier for me, you know, I just had to adapt what they were doing. And I also had the chance to bring myself in to the quartet. And yeah, after the first rehearsal, I was, I was really relieved. <laughs> Because they they just took me how how I am or how I was, and yeah, it, it was amazing. And also with Vladi, he he also rehearsed with me a lot, and yeah, it was it was wonderful. Actually, yes, that was that is a big thing that I think never not many times happens when when someone leaves a quartet. Um, and Vladi was not just nice enough, but still cared about the future of the quartet. So he helped Nico get into the literature and so on. And then with the time passing, um, we have changed also so that the, so coming again back to, to the question before, 
uh, we have rearranged again the pieces in that way that um, some parts got switched to Nico and some parts that before Vladi was playing got switched to one of us so that we adapt again to his character. Uh, Emiko, we finally get yes. to hear from you. Thank you so much again for, for joining us. Um, so do you remember that first concert that you had? And did you feel like you were on the verge of something historical? Because it, something big was about to happen. Yeah, it was already 13 years ago. It's kind of a oh, <laughs> long time ago. So, uh, but I can say it was not about something historical. Of course, it was very honor for us to play such a great concert hall in the very, very beginning of our career, of course. And uh, for us, it was for, uh, it was making good music together and uh, grow a big chance for us to bring Marimba to the public. So Bogdan mentioned, Bog, uh, Christopher mentioned, we uh, Marimba quartet, there is nowhere. So we have to start from zero. So we have to build up the, of course, uh, audience as well, so that they can hear us, they can listen to us, they can feel with us. So it, it, it's everything about music. That's wonderful, that's wonderful. You know, we had a, one of our co-hosts here um, who's, who's not actually able uh, to be here today, Ben Charles. He sent us a little question in for you and he sent us a picture because the two of you have met before. He had a chance to listen to you. And I think Carly might have the picture. Do you? There we go. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. I sure do. I have this picture. It's uh, baby Ben and baby Emiko. Um, so, so Emiko, Ben, here's what Ben wrote to us to share with you. Uh, he wrote, you won't remember me at all, but we met in 2006 when I was a student at UNT and you were performing with Keiko Abe on our campus and at PASIC. And then he wrote, please show photo and laugh. <laughs> and he said, I can only imagine that with the lineage of Keiko Abe students and the Wave Quartet, Miss Abe's artistry is a huge influence on your playing. Can you tell us how she has shaped your thoughts on playing the marimba? So um, Keiko is uh, like, well, for me, it's like mom. So she taught me everything. I met her when I was 10 years old. And um, since that point, I was uh, coming to her private lesson. And she is a bit different like uh, than Bogdan. How, how she is teaching. She's always playing with uh, students and her lessons are always open for everybody. So anybody who wants to listen to her lesson, everyone can come in. And she's improvising with stu students. She's sharing her music a lot and share, sharing with uh, students a lot of sound possibility. But uh, she's just genius, like, really genius so that a student couldn't understand sometimes how to play. Bogdan teaches a lot of technique. He tries to, uh, uh, how can I say, uh, with, with logic, 
the physics logic and, and everything, how to use the wrist and so on. He tells us so much sound colors and possibility, but Keiko just play and so do it, do it. <laughs> and the students say, how? Yeah, you do it, that's it. Is it difficult for you? That's everything, how, how she is teaching. <laughs> but, but of course, I was so honored to, to play with her and, and I grew up with this and uh, it was a wonderful time. And since uh, I, I came to the college in Toho Music School and uh, I learned the last four years with her, uh, I thought I have to learn some music. I, I just want to learn music and I want to learn culture in Europe. I want to learn why the music developed in the world. And it was for me too close to learn only marimba original music. And that was my question for, for Keiko. I want to get out and I want to try I want to know what the culture in Europe and what why music is so uh, uh, next to the people. I want to learn it with my my experience. And she said, then go to Bogdan. Mm. And he will tell. <laughs> so I, I arrived to Bogdan and I got such a wonderful education for Bogdan as well. And I'm very happy having wave carded as a colleague and like my family and my my best friend so that's everything um so 2006 i was already in europe and uh keiko still invited me to come with with her to us so i i flew from from uh austria to texas or texas i think it was texas and yeah i played with her that's wonderful. So I think now is a good time to segue into Bogdan's magical powers, his and his colleagues at the university to recruit such amazing students who at the age of 15 can be a member of such an amazing ensemble or, you know, they can be really early in their 20s and so on. Tell us a little bit about uh, Bruckner University, Bogdan. How do you do it? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm horribly lucky. I'm teaching there since quite some years now, and I've been together with Leonhard Schmidinger, who is the solo timpanist from Bruckner Orchestra in Linz. And in so many years teaching together, I can say we are like one. We never fight, we never even discuss. It just simply fits. It fits. And we are sometimes, especially for bigger events like competitions or when students go for some auditions for orchestras and so on, we teach together. So it's not anymore lesson with me and lesson with him, but we teach together. And sometimes we simply, one starts talking, the other one finishes the sentence. So it's like, we never have to represent two different opinions. And that helps a lot, especially for young students. It helps a lot if your professors always go the same way. And you don't have, especially in young years, to take a decision like, do I go there or there? 
that can be quite a conflict sometimes. And we never have this. And now, since quite a while, a few years already, or one year? <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm getting old. Um, he joined the group. <laughs> since one year. Okay, <laughs> here we go, one year. Somehow it feels like 20. <laughs> So he joined and, and and it doesn't work anymore. It's, it's a mess. <laughs> no. Luckily, it's the same. So so uh, we are having now some preparations for an audition in the orchestra, and, and we are teaching the three of us now at the same time, and it goes the same way. So it's that is actually, let's say, the, the strong point that we have. We are, we are nothing special. It's just it helps if you go the same direction, and, and if you... And if the students get the feeling, okay, doesn't matter if I go there or there, I will, they will simply lead me the same way. So that is, that is, and on the other side, how uh, the, the, the young talents, we did not recruit them. We were lucky that they come to us. So for Christoph, it was easy. His mother loved him a lot and she didn't want to have him too far away from home. <laughs> <laughs> so Linz was pretty close. <laughs> Then Emiko was lucky. I mean, Emi, uh, Keiko sent her to me, so <laughs> I didn't do much about. Nico is the same. He's from very close to Linz, and and yeah, his mama loves him also a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yes, and of course it helps. So, for example, we had we had fantastic students over the years, like Martin Grubinger and. Um, him here and Kai Strobel and so big names that that are now serious solists out there. So of course that helps maybe a little bit. <laughs> so much of what I'm hearing you say both about the quartet and your colleagues and students is that it's about the right fit, you know, person personality wise and musically, it's just about finding the right fit. And then yes. it sounds like everything is easier from there. Yes, it is. So, so clearly also, I'm not sure if, if this is common in the US, but for us, I'm, it's also not common very much in, in, in Europe, but for us in Linz, we decided from the very beginning that we do it a little bit like in a modern orchestra. When you have an audition for the orchestra, you get the job. And then after one year, about one year, you have to be confirmed. And that's the way that Linz works, the university. We get the new students and after, we sit one time together after six months, and then after one year, we have the final decision. The students know about this from the very first second. So when they come to the audition, we already tell them that that's the way it's functioning. And it's not just, you know, it's not just about us. It can be that we don't fit with the student, but also it can also be that the student thinks after a while, mm, that's not really my line. I'm not happy with that. So it has to be both ways, you know, it has to go like that. If it doesn't, then even if the student is a fantastic, if the student is a fantastic player, but if I cannot help him, then it's lost time for him. So as a student, you have, you have a window of how many, four to six years, and that's where your life has to start. And if it doesn't, but you're spending most of the time thinking like, hmm, I'm not sure if I agree very much with what they tell me or the way they lead. That doesn't matter how much success we had before or how much success we have as a player. It has to fit with that one person. And if it doesn't, then after one year, we just separate. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very kind and very fair. And it's 
it's a beautiful way of thinking. However, I think whoever is that student who leaves is silly. They really, they're missing out on a lot. So um, sometimes they leave also because we decided they have to leave and sometimes they leave because they want to leave. But it's also from my side, I have to be aware of one thing. I am, in the moment I take a student, I'm practically big time responsible for his future. So I don't want that in the end, a fantastic talent will miss his life of, or a part of his life just because I was not able to fit his needs. Yes, that's, that is very well said and uh, really wonderful that you, you think so much of it. And obviously we see that the great success that your students achieve, congratulations on, on that to, to all of you. I mean, everybody here has contributed to their own success and to those around uh, you. I see that you all inspire each other and you work as a family and that's, that's amazing. Um, so what has been the greatest challenge that the quartet has faced? I mean, what we see on the outside is all the success, but we don't know what's challenging and there's gotta be something challenging in there. He will take it over, but I think that I think that the, the biggest challenge is to do it right for Emiko. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to get beaten after this. <laughs> By the way, did we actually explain why why Emiko is like separated from us? Or, or should we? Yeah. It's a good time to say that, of course, she would be here with us and we were, we planned actually to meet four of us and but but Emiko got sick a few days ago so that's why she's home and uh, she I don't know how, how long she actually wants to still stay with us. Yeah, I hope you I hope you feel feel well but but she she's really sick and that's why we decided that she does it from home <laughs> just <laughs> with us for this interview not <laughs> yes oh, we we appreciate it so for listeners who are not watching if you were on youtube you'd see that you know you have uh bogdan and christoph and nico in one room and then emiko is is separate she's not in the castle with a scarf on and a jacket on not because she's <laughs> be comfortable um, and not because she likes to only be warm but because um, she joined us from home because she's sick but so lovely of you to, to join us anyway thank you my pleasure <laughs> so has this been the greatest challenge <laughs> yes <laughs> no the greatest challenge is his humor Bogdan's humor and besides <laughs> that of course there, there are many challenges that you that you face uh, I mean, I think as a musician in general, but especially also as a, as a quartet, like, um, first of all, I mean, there have not been so many role models, I think, for, for a marimba quartet. And we, we really try to, to establish ourselves in, in the classical music scene. And of course, in the beginning for organizers, like a marimba quartet, what, what is that? I mean, they might have seen a percussion ensemble before, but there's still a difference be between that. And, and so I think that was one of the challenges in the beginning uh, also, and might have been one of the reasons why we tried to do recordings actually uh, quite at the beginnings to have some documents to, to show also people that cannot imagine what, what the marimba quartet uh, could be. And of course also, 
I mean, like Bogdan said at the beginning, Fladi, Emiko, and me, we were all students actually of, of Bogdan, and Emiko came from Japan. Uh, Fladi came from Bulgaria. I came from 130 from kilometers. Away. <laughs> 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 it was, was not from Salzburg. Uh, but of, of course, I mean, it was not clear from the beginning, I think, that Emiko will stay in, in Europe, for example. Um, or, or if Vladi really wants to stay in Austria and not, not go back, like these kind of, of, of decisions as well. And of course, I think one big challenge was for sure when, when Vladi um, decided that he actually wants to stop playing uh, in the quartet. The good thing is that we knew soon enough in order to be able to also look for, for, for other players. And that's why we also said many times uh, that, that we are so, so happy actually that we, we found Nico who really fits in, into this ensemble because it's actually, it's, it can be a very difficult task, I think. And, and because we also don't want someone that is uh, just only adapting and just a clone of someone uh, from, from our ensemble. But actually, I think that one of the good things about WAVE was always that we tried always to play really uh, in, in, in one way, but with different characters. And, and this is kind of the balance between those four characters in a quartet, of course, has to, has to fit. I mean, you, you also spend so much time together. So, so that's why that, that, that's one of the big challenges, I think. Yeah. And it's also the passion for that. So, so Vladi and Emiko and Christoph, they know it from the beginning. In the beginning, bringing such a project together is, you know, you have, in the beginning, you have hardly any concerts and an incredible amount of work. And you, do, you will never know where this work will lead to. It may be it will be just a very bad hobby that takes all your private life away, but doesn't really help in the end because you just don't manage to get out with it. So it had to be someone that, that shares the passion and would still like to stay until 12 in the night in a cold castle and rehearse. <laughs> exactly. And I think we, we faced that also really much. We, as you see, we are really close friends. We are like really family. And since 13 years, if we are meeting every day and we are changing opinions and everything, then you, you find some, some uh, conflict, of course, in you and, and something is not working. But, but we talk open and we were discussing and we still, sometimes we hate each other, but, but still we love from the, from bottom of my heart. I'm, I, I love them. So I don't care how they, they, they think, but, but I love them like really, really much. That's why I, I I mean, I, my, my promise with Keiko was that I come back to Japan, but I couldn't live anymore out of quartet. So I decided to stay. That is my thing, so. Oh, but that's so lovely. That's, that <laughs> made me cry. That's, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, don't be, it's, it's so beautiful. I mean, I think, sorry now to talk, to take any time from you talking, no but problem. chamber music is, only special when it happens with those people that you love that you're also allowed to hate sometimes because they drive you crazy but that is the thing and yes we stay together yes and we we 
had a tough time, of course, but, but I think because of that, we, we developed a lot. And with that, we have a wonderful career. And, and you, you heard now the Bruckner, uh, how Bokhtan is teaching, that is very, very kind of special. I couldn't imagine from Japan that, that there is something that way that people can teach uh, uh, students like that way. And I'm very, very happy. So even if I'm not there anymore, they know me really much and they, they have everything what I, I, can, I want to say. So I will leave you and thank you so much for giving us this opportunity. And I'm, I'm very glad to see you guys and hope to see you someday in the US. <laughs> I absolutely hope so too. Thank you so much for joining us and for being with us, even though you're sick. We're really, really grateful. So lovely to meet you. And yes, we'll find you sometime. I hope you have an explosion of concerts in the future. So <laughs> we get to listen to you everywhere. <laughs> Thank you very much. Bye-bye. <laughs> so all four of you are obviously very close. And um, so every great team consists of people who have different strengths to contribute. And obviously, y'all all have a very shared vision. How would you describe um, each member's strength and contributions to the group? It's pretty simple, actually. From the very beginning, it was clear that me and Emiko are, let's say, the ones that will take more care of the repertoire. So um, terms of arrangement and anything else. So I was the one, I'm the old one. <laughs> so I, I would always take care of the of the old music repertoire. And because you're old. Because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Emiko would take care of, of mainly everything else. But so in the end, it would be like this, me and Emiko practically listening to tons of recordings from different things and talking together and then presenting to the other two members in the very end, um, few pieces that we would like to play where most of the time, however, they had no choice because we have decided in advance. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> then, um, Christoph and Nico, so me and Emiko are pure marimba players. We don't touch any percussion. Uh, you did? You did? I did, but we don't. You, you know, <laughs> actually, actually, you shouldn't say that because you played in, in Musikverein in Vienna. Both of you played percussion yeah, when we played uh, Dorman's Concerto. I'm trying to forget that. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? We need to hear about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was... I was the pianist and Emiko the same and we were both really so much on marimba and and of course I can play percussion I was a student of Peter Sadro if I wouldn't have done that it would have been a disaster but but I've done it and I've, I've done it with quite some passion to a certain point but my heart always pulled me back to marimba and it's the same with Emiko and I think in a quartet where you never need more so in our quartet in our way of playing you never need more than two players switching to percussion. So why would I do that when I have two of them here being serious percussionists? So um, that's, so coming back to the strengths, clearly him, multi-percussion, full power, Nico the same. Um, 
And on top of that, they are both trying to organize the trips. So they are trying. Try. <laughs> Why trying? Because they are practically stopping each other from failing. <laughs> so we did reach a concert like uh, two years ago where we reached a concert which was about 850 kilometers away from our practice room where he was supposed to make sure oh yes <laughs> actually this was the for my first concert yeah. in the it was, it was his first concert we arrived at the place and i mean this is the nightmare of every percussionist i don't know probably i guess it, it happened to everyone at a certain point maybe with some something small we missed some big well it was something small but we missed a set of bars yes yeah, my set of bars <laughs> <laughs> so the marimbas were set up it was a few hours before the concert and i go like excuse me where are my bars <laughs> and they both tried to look innocent <laughs> and then i thought okay let me let me see do i manage 1600 kilometers within four hours probably not <laughs> so so luckily that was pretty close to the to the to the border to netherlands and I called Franz Winkels from Adams and I said, help. <laughs> so he got, it was on top on Sunday. So he went to the factory, opened the factory, got someone in the car, into the car with a set of bars. And this guy arrived like one hour before the concert and gave me a set of bars so I can, so we can play the concert. So yeah, that's why they are trying to organize well, the trip. Of course, most of this one time of, of 13 years where everything else went perfectly fine. Yeah, just perfectly to, fine. I just <laughs> want to mention that before we have a completely wrong impression of, of our yes. qualities as organizers, <laughs> our esteemed qualities. Esteemed. But in the end, also one big strength that we all four have, we take it always with a big portion of laugh, laughing, you know? If, if you don't, I mean, if, if you start getting too serious about it, it's going to be a disaster in the end. So um, we had our times where everything was a bit, let's say, stronger. And now since a few years, we doesn't matter what happens. It has to be, there's always a way out. <laughs> Oh, that's that's amazing. Okay, well, this is round number two when I cried, but this time was laughing. So I think we've checked all the marks. I, I've cried. That, that's amazing. This is my top episode then. Um, so you mentioned that you didn't know the first time that, you know, you had the first concert. Um, you didn't know whether this was going to be just a hobby that you're going to spend a lot of energy and, and time and I assume money on also, right? Um, when did you know that this was going to turn into something special and that it's going to be a huge part of your career i think we knew that it's that it's special for us even when it was only a hobby and i think that's that's that, that's probably the biggest point that that you want to do it doesn't matter if you have success or not actually i mean Bogdan yeah. was joking before but mm -hmm. but it was really an the extreme passion actually for for quartet i mean for chamber music and 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 really trying to to push it to a to, to a to a higher level i think and and so for me at that point I, I said before i was just learning and so i was happy about every minute that that we rehearsed but i think in general if you start such a project it, it has to be mainly about the passion and then then the success will come at a certain point and it was just just not just that it was also 
the way that our literature forced us to develop our way of playing. So again, I'm the old one in here, but I think since playing in wave quartet, my approach to the instrument, the way I played, the way I the way I tried to play it, the way I the way I my entire technique developed, I uh, it's a huge change. It's a huge change because suddenly you're not alone anymore, but you have three other marimbas and 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 you want to extend your range from playing that pianissimo where you can hardly hear it in the end of the hall, and in the next second, this explosion that will make the whole, you know, vibrate and 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 how can you do that? We without using, we never use microphones. We do not want to break bars. We have the same instruments since ever without changing anything on them. And and so all this, all this, all this, you know, it, it implemented a huge development for all of us. And I must say also for me, learning from, from, from all of them also the other way around. So even if I was the one supposed to teach them, um, when you have someone aged 15 in front of you playing in the end the same things that you play, and you cannot just tell him do or die, but um, you, you have to adapt to it and you have to find a way to make him come to the same level without the public realizing that he's so much younger than you. It's enough that they see that I'm so much older than him. But <laughs> and then also implementing the fact something that, for example, in Linz will never happen, that, that, that I force a student to change his technique. There are many places where you have automatically to play, which is nothing bad. I mean, it's clear men, uh, there are some fantastic professors out there that say that's the way and I guarantee for a success and their success gives them the right to do that. And I, I don't, I went a different way also because of my impact with Keiko and so on. So I, then this came into, inside a quartet where I realized that he was playing my technique, but Vladi and Emiko played cross grip and I didn't want to change that. But how do you make them the four players sound the same, have the same sound character, same quality, same amount of sound and everything so that this wave concept taking over from each other still works. So, and then of course, after a while answering your question, concerts start coming in and then Sony Classical knocks on the door and then you realize, okay, it starts moving. <laughs> but that's, that's fantastic. And uh, so interesting to think about again, how, but we on the outside, we have seen you as, you know, the top of Mount Olympus from the first album that came out. But there's so much work that's been put in in the meantime, and you're constantly refining your sound. And the fact that you approach it with so much humility is so wonderful, just really, really inspiring to, to hear. So thank you for that. Um, but, you know, talking about your quartet, um, you have uh, broken out of the percussion niche. I mean, yes, percussionists, of course, know about your your quartet and about all of you, of course, individually. But concert-wise, you are also so known and loved by wide audiences. And I wonder, you know, knowing the process from the inside, what is it that separates you from the rest? What is it that that makes this ensemble special in that way? I mean, I think we are not the 
only percussion group that that plays for a wider audience i mean I, and i think that that's fantastic to see that they're actually more and more and and we are just uh one of them and then really really trying to make good music actually and I can I can just say that um, also getting back to to Bogdan and, and Leonard as, as teachers, like one of the most amazing things is obviously how how they explain how they how they uh, the the way of playing how detailed, also how um, how they talk about sound how they talk about the concept of using weight um, and. I think how much um, they are situated not in in let's say a closed if if you want so a percussive side but into a general musical side and I, I think in the end probably that's what makes a big difference also that you're really um, taking over also concepts from from other instruments and 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 trying to learn from pianists, trying to learn from violin players and, and, and so on. And of course, at a certain point, like what I said before, so if you want to play with an orchestra on period instruments, but you never learned about Baroque music, um, but you're maybe just playing the, the notes and not reading in between, then, then it will be difficult, then it will be a hard time. And that's what Bogdan also always encouraged in, inside the quartet, but also as a teacher to get a wider musical knowledge. And I think that in the end, yeah, that, that's what, what, what really helps if you, if you want to share your music with other people. But it came different. So for, for me, it came from Peter Sadlo. I think I had probably the most, the toughest professor ever possible. And I loved him more than everything. And I remember the first time when I was trying to tell him I would like to play Bach and he looked at me and he was like, mm -hmm, do it. So I came with a short prelude and he just went like, <laughs> okay, close the score. And he told me, you know, there are two ways. You either play Bach in that way, that's the original, the, the, the players of the original instrument would be jealous or you just don't do it. And I was like, isn't that a bit hard? It was apparently not hard. And I was very thankful for that. So, so he pushed me after this first try, he pushed me into studying harpsichord, not just a little bit, but just like for real. And I was again, very thankful for that. And that's what we try also what we do here, what makes us different. So we, we always, we try, most of the things we play are arrangements in the end. And we try to do them in that way that is not just an arrangement, but it gives something new to the piece and it brings it alive. So I think that's, if you can say difference, it's not a difference. It's, it doesn't make us also special. It's just our approach, that's all. That's that's wonderful. Again, you just keep emphasizing about that love that you have for for this music, and it's it's so evident. Um, but I'd like to know where this uh, love for chamber music 
uh, comes from. And I was wondering, because I personally did not have the pleasure of meeting uh, you in person, in fact, so uh, sadly, any of you in person yet, yet, I will fan person my way to your concert one day. Um, but I was wondering if this is something that came from your roots, you know, from Romania, Bogdan, or if this is something that uh, came from Sadlo, or, or where, where did the love for chamber music come from? It has nothing to do with Romania. Um, no, no, it's it's clearly, clearly was Peter Sadlo the first one to push me towards chamber music with a simple reason again, telling me that if you want to play solo, you have again, two ways. He's very famous two ways. You're either an egoistic soloist or you learn to play with other people to be a part of something bigger and then come out of that as a soloist. And chamber music brought me so much higher in terms of playing solo. So after playing so much Bach, especially like you said, after playing with, with uh, Baroque orchestras on period instruments, playing with them uh, Bach concertis, when you come back to marimba and play a fantastic marimba piece, but original literature, you suddenly see it from a very different angle. You don't think anymore about sticking or these technical things that for the public are simply not relevant. Of course, if I play in front of a percussion public, they will all come and ask me, which mallets do you use? Standard questions, uh, what kind of sticking? What do you do? But the public doesn't care about that. When you play in front of a public that does not know marimba, they just come there and they assume they were going to hear music the same way they hear when they go to piano concerto or violin or whatever else. So, so that's why we were trying to go away from the technical part. The technique is just there allowing us to do what we want. And in the end, if the public likes it, this is what gives us, you know, the feeling that what we did is to a certain point right. And that's how the chamber music changed me a lot and keeps changing me. I am, I am old, but I'm only 46. <laughs> and and um, I think, I mean, I'm discovering everyday new things. And, and, and since baby Nico here uh, started playing with us, um, where my very thoughts in the, were in the beginning, like, okay, I have to go this way with him in order to integrate him. And suddenly his way of playing forced me change my playing because he's quite tall and he has quite a big hand. And for some reason, the bass on his marimba, which I always claimed to be my place, uh, suddenly became his place. And that forced me change again everything and rethink again everything. So everything shifted inside there. And that showed me, okay, I'm 46, he's 12. But, <laughs> but, but I have something to learn apparently. I have something to change and switch again in order that the quartet doesn't fall out of balance. <laughs> 
know, well, hearing hearing how you all cooperate and work together um, is just so wonderful. And I think we all know that it takes a, a real village to run a good functioning ensemble. I'm wondering who are some, if there are some, of uh, invisible members, meaning non-performers, um, who are just critical to the quartet's functioning and operation? I mean, there's of course our management and and our our label maybe, but but it's not like we have so much so many more people that uh i mean like Vokton said before we are organizing most of it <laughs> Nico and me. i mean we have to say um we still have a lot of friends which help us if it comes to to getting new instruments like for new projects or whatever like with 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 your with Adams, yeah, for yeah. example. Sure, sure. No, but uh, and we also also have um, people that help us uh, to build up the instruments for for the concert. Yeah. Yes, but but it's not like they're a fixed team actually. But we um, also also changes actually depends also also on the concerts uh, on the concert. Sometimes we do it completely by, by ourselves and yeah. but. And actually, uh, why a, a real team member member wouldn't work very much in behind is that we are all of us very, from this point of view, a little bit unreliable, because we never have one thought, and this thought will thought will go through the project. But sometime in the middle of the rehearsal, we decide, hey, but actually this fits better like that. Or when we planned a new CD with with Sony Classical, and suddenly we realize. Hmm, this piece. Mm -mm. And, you know, so also even talking to the booklet and everything. So in the end, giving something out of your hand and then this person makes the work, but then they still have to run it, you know, to bring it to us and double check. And in the end, it's more work. So we, as it is still a passion for all of us, we don't see it as a work. So it's fun to do it. Um, and we prefer to keep it like that. You know, yes, we have we have uh, people that uh, get some money in order to help us with carrying instruments and so on. Especially when Emiko was pregnant and so on, it's clear clear that it has to. We need some help. Um, but uh, in terms of repertoire, the way we plan everything and so on, it's a do-it-yourself job mostly. <laughs> it stays in the quartet, actually. Yeah, and, and I mean, you could say you you take some someone external for the arrangements but that no. in our situation really really wouldn't work because the, the arrangements also yeah they they evolve while we are rehearsing yeah. and so it comes to the question that we had before how the quartet developed also the arrangement the way we arrange developed over the 13 yes. years yes. so emiko knows exactly in the beginning she was arranging and i was telling her i think this part won't fit any one of us and i think this part that has to go automatically, let's say to me, it won't fit my playing style. So, so meanwhile, when Emiko arranges something new or when I have some new old music piece that I, that I bring in, I know exactly the way or she knows exactly the way to do it. And this will spare time in the end way better than taking someone to arrange for us. Sorry if, if I just added, but we have the, uh, the amazing luck that, that we have people for arrangement in the quartet that actually can do it also like like Bogdan with with choosing the 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 repertoire and and, and arranging the the old music but Emiko also like when we started with the tango project yeah. and and we wanted to arrange pieces by Piazzolla 
um, we didn't rely on published arrangements, but we got the original CD by Piazzolla and his ensemble. And actually, if there were different recordings, we searched for the recording that, because he changed the, the ensembles also, and we searched for a recording that uh, was with an ensemble that would fit uh, best. And Emiko was actually listening um, and writing down from the CD. Note by note. Note by note. And then we were, uh, yeah, then we were starting from, from that to develop the, the arrangement further. So that wouldn't yeah. probably work so well no. if you would have someone external. And, and we can just be happy that we have those kind of qualities inside the quartet. Yeah. That's it's nice to hear. I think, you know, as the public, we just see the finished product. We see the albums, we see the videos, you know, we get to hear you play. Um, so it's nice to hear some of the behind the scenes and the things that you're actually doing to make everything happen. Yeah, absolutely. And so thinking about, you know, your first album, Aurora Boralis to Carmen, how has your recording process like the very moment that you enter a room how has that changed because we'd all like to learn a bit more how we could do that better and i'm sure you've learned something along those lines so can you share with us how are you better at it now than 13 years ago are we better i don't know if we're probably our sound engineer is better. <laughs> actually, no, actually we have the same sound engineer from the very first that's why he, 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 yeah. he also developed but he is for sure like in terms of he's probably the closest person yeah. to to our quartet if exactly. you want because we have the same sound engineer actually since yeah. since the beginnings exactly. and you worked and you worked even yeah i, I started i think my very first i i have recorded always with him and i uh, the, he was always telling me yeah people want me when i record them they come to me and they tell me i want my instrument to sound like that so he has to make the, to make the instrument sound like that and we are different again on that. I don't want him to make the instrument sound like that. I want him to make my instrument sound 100% the way it does. I don't want him to miss one little overtone or whatever that my instrument would produce and get lost just because the microphone is in the wrong position or the wrong microphone or too less or too many or whatever. So he was experimenting over many, many recordings and many, many years and we had quite some hard nights where he was throwing the score at me and I was throwing my mallets at him. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, where, where I was getting pretty nasty telling him, I managed to record this with one single microphone and it sounded better than what you're doing there, which of course is not the best way, the best thing to say to a, to, to a sound engineer. <laughs> but it happens that he's actually my oldest and my best friend. So we know each other since I was 16. That's a long time. So he can <laughs> really long. <laughs> so um, as you can see, so he, he so that developed on the other side. Also, our approach developed because in the beginning we thought we record the CDs. Yeah, it's a recording, and that's wrong because in the moment you play something as a recording, it will sound like a recording. And the latest recordings, they were not anymore a recording, they were a concert. So with the way we play, our approach going in, it's, I want to play a concert now. We don't start doing that around, but um, 
cutting bits and pieces and whatever, but, but we just play through and play through and play through. Also, we had kind of a rule with our sound engineer because he was telling us, yeah, you can play three times through, but after the third time already, I was hearing, we were hearing him from outside like, boring! <laughs> because <laughs> <laughs> three times better, he's like, yeah, right, you know? So, so um, then we were stopping going for something else, and, and and so, but that was the approach in the end. We tried to play a concert and not anymore a recording. So basically, the new CDs are just one take, and that's <laughs> <it>. we wish. <laughs> <laughs> of course, with with the newer CDs, that made it more difficult because if your goal is not to start cutting around, but more to play long long takes it will make it quite difficult and also uh, he was also our sound engineer was telling us also from the very beginning he's not going to make a 12-hour craziness out of it per day but he thinks and i agree on that after six hours with a break it's kind of done <laughs> it's not you don't have that, that that energy anymore. And funny, you really hear that on the on the CD. We had versions that we've played after seven eight hours, which were no wrong notes, altogether fantastic. But it was dead. <laughs> yeah. So how how long did it take, for example, to record Carmen? How many days do you allot for a full album recording? It was a stressy one. Three days? No? Three days, but in those three days, we had also the sound check included and the, and the setup. And we just came. And, and, uh, and in those three days, so we had to change the setups because we had to change the setup for Carmen. We had to change the setup for Dorman. We had to change the setups for the, for the soft switch pieces. So the, we had practically every few hours to make a complete new setup and we couldn't go back anymore to the old one. And this within three days of normal work, where the sound engineer would say clearly, he won't work more than eight hours, including breaks and so on. So that was a little bit of a tough one, <laughs> especially also because the sound engineer, we wanted to record in a concert hall, which is deep. We were lucky because we are in a castle here and one floor down, the so-called um, night hall, the night hall. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it, we have a concert hall downstairs, so it's just like one floor down, and that's where we have recorded. And the sound engineer was—he couldn't be outside the hall because it was also in the cold time. So outside we had like ten degrees uh, outside the concert hall, and inside the concert hall was going up heating. We had to stop the heating because it was too loud. And then we had about one to one and a half hours until it would get cold again. Then we had to lose again half an hour to heat up again. So that was how it was going. <laughs> so that was the fun of the century. <laughs> but the funny thing is also actually that we found this rehearsal room here um, because we were searching for a new recording space. So the first CDs were recorded yeah. in Salzburg. And uh, yeah, at a certain point, actually, I think there were like we couldn't get into the old recording space in Salzburg. And mm -hmm. so, so we decided to search something in the Linz area. So that's and actually so how open the newspapers. And then you're like, hmm, what castles are available? Like, no, how does that work? <laughs> no, this was this was actually this was actually our boss that 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 managed that. This was Emiko. 
uh, where she, I think she, she was at a wedding or something like this that happened here in this castle. And then she told us about, and then she called here and luckily the house lord here, lord. Uh, sorry, the house, <laughs> the chief, <laughs> the, you know, the, 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 owner. the owner, but he has a title, he's a, he's a, doesn't matter. So he, he, he is actually, he has Japanese in his family. And he was, of course, immediately with Emiko, very, very happy. And he told us, well, you can record here. And during the recording, me nasty old guy asked him like, um, do you have anything like the old prison under the castle or something like this where we could actually keep on practicing because we would really urgently need a practice room. And he said, well, under the castle, not, but on top of the castle in the tower, we do have a big room and here we are. <laughs> You're in a tower and then yes. the tower of a castle and you asked for a prison. This is amazing. <laughs> the ghosts of the castle sometimes. We've well, it's, we feel like. it's sad, it's, it's dark outside. The views is fantastic. We're really on the top of a hill. It's a castle on the top of a hill. And from this, from the top window, you can just simply see everything. It's just, it's beautiful. It's it's not the usual percussion practice room. No. But we, we don't have an elevator, so we need for, we have floor, uh, full floors of, yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, okay, steps. We do, okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's only, only in Europe, I think. Can you have that kind of, it's such a, fairy tale well except for the heating i really hope that that kicks back in yes and and funny thing is that actually schubert already uh resided in this castle for for some time like wow. rumor that he wrote his ave maria inside this very place like two floors below so <laughs> it's quite quite some history okay my jealousometer is like exploding so i i have no more jealousy left it's just okay you won you won <laughs> Hey, any better, but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> at least it's a nice story. <laughs>